Um, welcome back to another episode of GMH's Mental Health Podcast. Today, our main focus is going to be about depression and anxiety and how it's so prevalent in the today's youth and people of today's day and age. We're very honored to have Angelica with us from The Revolutionized Mind. Um, how are you doing, Angelica? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. So I wanted to ask first off, when someone says the word anxiety or depression, there's like kind of like a taboo amongst today's generation, whether it's like a relatability or just not knowing exactly what it is. So I wanted to ask you, like, what is what does it mean to you? Yeah, I think that's a great start because anxiety and depression are so common in today's youth and people think it's not as serious as it actually is. Um, so I think a lot of the problems start with like the language that we use around anxiety and depression because it is just their terms thrown out in society and talked about so freely. Um, but a lot of us forget that they are real mental illnesses. So just coming back to like the criteria that you actually need in order to be diagnosed with these things, I think like little signs that are so common to a lot of people, but actually like it's the seriousness and the severity, the how often these symptoms come that people don't really pay attention to because it is common to experience stress. It is common to have a bad day and to be sad over things. But in order to be diagnosed with a mental illness, these signs and symptoms need to, normally it's two weeks is the first starting point for a lot of these illnesses that they need to be persistent and severe. So I think just like really reminding people that they are real illnesses and that these terms like one of my biggest pet peeves is when people throw out like, oh, this is so depressing or this is so whatever, um, because they really take away the severity of what these illnesses mean. Yeah. And I think like a lot of people sometimes, you know, whether they've gone through something or not, I know people who like in the midst of conversation will just be like, oh, I'm so depressed or I'm, I'm, I'm you know, stuff like that. So I guess, yeah, when you talk about the wording of that. Um, I wanted to know, obviously, to the extent that you're comfortable explaining it, what are your um, experiences, I guess, I guess you could say, dealing with some of these mental health related issues? Yeah, so I'd say I'd started uh, suffering from depression and anxiety when I was around 15 years old. So in those middle high school years, um, I had a lot going on with me athletically. I was a soccer player, um, was kind of going through the recruiting process for university. Um, and then school academically, I think I was always like an overachiever and put a lot of pressure on myself to get the good grades, to be involved in a bunch of community things. So I always had a lot going on. Um, and I think that masked a lot of what I was going through because a lot of what I was suffering from was behind closed doors and my friends, my family, nobody really knew what I was going through until about a year or two into it. Um, and that was because my boyfriend at the time had actually noticed some of the signs that I was displaying on myself with my own internal thoughts, with the behaviors I was using to cope with these feelings. Um, and I just say like my experience was depression was mainly the biggest focus for me. I did struggle a lot with thoughts of harming myself and just feeling like a burden, not wanting to really deal with anything anymore because feelings for me were very overwhelming. And I think I just like forced myself so much to be that like positive and normal quote unquote person when I was out in society. But then it all hit me like 10 times harder when I was by myself. So I had like the typical story of suffering in silence for a little bit until my friends and family were aware. And then I started my medication and therapy journey after a pretty traumatic night uh, when I was brought to the hospital. But 
I, I'm grateful for that experience now because I think I did need the help. I did need to let people in. And yeah, it's kind of just been a bunch of ups and downs ever since. I think for us, like, especially in a competitive environment where we live, um, it's crazy to see how many people, like you said, are suffering in silence because they feel like if they do talk about what they're going through, you know, whether it's mentally or physically, emotionally, um, a lot of people feel like they don't, number one, they don't want to be a burden to others. They don't want to have people worrying about them constantly. Um, You know, I do have friends who have advocated to me, like, what they're going through. And I think just having people around you that, like, are that you know, pillars of support is really important. But yeah, it's crazy to see, especially in high school when people put so much stress on themselves and like, you know, to be the best. Um, and like when those goals are like not reached, how much people like, you know, talk themselves down for it. It's it's crazy. Um, so I wanted to ask you what like stigmas or like misconceptions, stereotypes do you think you know, that may be wrong, um, are surrounding um, anxiety, depression, suicide, that you think that we should, like, as a collective, remove? Um, I think the biggest thing to start with is always, like, the difference between mental health and mental illness, um, just education around those two terms, because they are so different, but people do use them interchangeably. Um, so mental health is just, like, our general everyday well-being, um, how we feel on the regular, where mental illness is your diagnosable disorder. And people, I think we need to take care of our mental health, but not everybody's mentally ill. So when you throw those terms out, people just kind of assume, and it's not really treated with the same, like, I guess, respect and severity that it needs to be. Um, But then I am a big advocate for language as well. So suicide language is something that's thrown out so freely. And when people experience something negative, they'll use terms like, I'm going to hurt myself, or I would I'm going to go do this to myself when they don't actually mean it. And they just mean it as a way to like exaggerate what they're feeling. And I don't think people realize the effect that that has, say if somebody else is in the circle and they're actually struggling with suicidal ideation and they hear these thoughts being, these comments being thrown out so freely, it really negatively impacts the person who might be really suffering because people don't take it as seriously as they should. Um, And I think other misconceptions are just around like, why so many people actually suffer and why we think it's so common. Um, I think we've kind of like accepted that this is the norm when it really shouldn't be. Um, And I think it goes back to like all the hustle culture and all the pressures that we place on ourselves and high school is such a difficult time for so many people because you have pressure from school, extracurriculars, parents, friends, universities. So there's just so much going on. And I think we really forget that like, these feelings of intense stress and sadness and like fear for the future are not really normal. And it shouldn't be something that so many people are struggling with. So I think that's why talking about these things and just making sure that resources are more accessible than they have been. I know we are getting better, but there's still a really long way to go to make sure that people do have the help when they need it. Yeah. And I'm like touching back to what you said about like people who use such, you know, strong vocabulary to exaggerate how they're feeling maybe when they're not feeling that strongly. And like, you have people who are actually struggling with the, with this. Um, It is, it is sad to say that like a lot of like the language and stuff that we say normally um, is like, is like heightened, tightened to that extent when like, we shouldn't be throwing around words like, oh, I'm going to go hurt myself for, um, et cetera. when someone is actually struggling. Um, 
why do you think that so many students and younger people and it's it's really sad to say that the age of like depression and anxiety is getting younger and younger but why do you think that so many young people are struggling with depression and anxiety do you think it's like the amount of stress that they put on themselves personal issues that like they're struggling with silently um what do you think I think it's a mix of everything, but a lot of it is the media and social media and just what we're consuming. Um, Even I was having a conversation with my sister the other day, but watching old movies like from when we were younger, old Disney movies or family channel movies and just some of the terms and the way that they interacted with each other. Looking back now, we were saying like, oh, this stuff would never fly on today's TV because whether it's not politically correct, whether they're throwing out terms that shouldn't be used. We obviously know better now, but when we were younger, we didn't know better. And that stuff we internalized and we thought that that was a normal way to communicate with others. That was a normal way to feel about ourselves. And I think that's like poisoned us, I guess, um, growing up. So I think the media we consume, but then also social media is a different topic. And I think we're in the new age, so nobody really knows how it's going to affect us because we are the first generation to really experience this. But things like just unconscious social comparisons as you're scrolling, whether it be body image or you're comparing your life to other people's highlight reels. And maybe you're not having a great day, but somebody else is out on a boat living their life and you're comparing it to what you're going through. And that really has like a negative toll. So I think like filtering your feed is a big thing right now, just making sure that you're unfollowing or muting accounts that don't make you feel good. And that's easier said than done, but that's definitely something that we do have in our control. And it's something that a lot of people do like for hours a day. So it does have a huge impact on us. Um, But then also just, I think societal pressures and it is becoming more and more, I guess, necessary to attend post-secondary education or to have all these jobs and experiences before even applying for a job. So there are so many things that you need to like, let's say, add to your resume to participate in volunteering and just in order for you to get ahead of maybe your peers and colleagues, whatever stage of your life you're in. But I just feel like we're always go, go, go. And we're really losing some of that like rest period. And when you do rest, it's frowned upon. So Mm. a lot of just like misconceptions around what productivity is and Mm. all that fun stuff. It's really interesting that you bring up social media because there's a lot of um, high schoolers, people that I know who like continuously will just click on random people's profiles and constantly compare themselves and put themselves down. because of how someone else is living. And I always try to remind them, I'm like, people don't post their hardships or their struggles on social media. These are like the best moments of their life that they're choosing to share. Um, And when you're constantly comparing yourself, I guess, to the highs that people are experiencing, it's really easy to like fall deeper, I guess, into the lows that that you personally are experiencing. And I think that like social media, it truly is like a blessing and a curse. I think, like, I guess you could say, because obviously a way for people to connect and stuff to, to find people who are number one going through the same things as them or whatever it may be but also like when you're like you said body image is something that's so it's like literally it's a one it's a really a driving factor into why so many people put themselves down because they feel like they should look a certain way or like be a certain way act a certain way talk a certain way and when they don't fit that they automatically think less of themselves and I think that really has to change um <clears throat> So when it comes to like coping mechanisms, because there's different ways that people choose to cope with these feelings, whether obviously it's self-harm, which is something that 
you know, we tell people, oh, you should not do that. But I guess this this could be um, into, uh, divided up into two questions. Why do you think that people who are struggling with depression and anxiety choose to, you know, do things that would ne- negatively affect themselves to cope with it? And what do you think that they should do instead to, I guess, positively cope with it? Yeah, I think self-harm, and that's like all forms of self-harm, um, is a very misconstrued topic. Mm-hmm. And it's like to break it down completely, I think it's just a way to distract yourself from what you're feeling, whatever form, like self-harm can even be excessive exercising. So it's whatever you're doing to yourself that might not necessarily be viewed as a positive thing. Um, But I just think that, especially when people do turn to those things, it's when their feelings and thoughts and feelings are really, really overwhelming. And they feel like that's the only way to stop those thoughts and feelings and to like, give them a break. So for me, it was always like, I would term it as a distraction. And if my like emotional and mental pain was too much, I would much rather prefer a physical pain because it was something I could control more. And it was easier for me to deal with as hard as that is to hear. But um, I think a lot of people just are looking for that escape and they don't really know where to find it. And these positive coping mechanisms, like obviously maybe going for a walk or doing yoga and journaling or things that are thrown out there. But when you're in that midst of like a dark depression or you're having a really bad mental health day, it's not always easy to do that. Um, Sometimes it feels literally impossible and you're not going to be able to grab your journal and sit there and talk about your feelings. Sometimes you just need to, you react rather than respond. Mm -hmm. And I think it is a very deep topic and you can go into so many different reasons why people do do it. And I think that's a whole nother episode, but um, I just think it's important to kind of understand both sides of the things. And I saw something the other day about like positive and negative coping mechanisms and not calling it that because then we in term, it's like when we look at ourselves, we say, Oh, I'm doing something negative to myself. Whereas we can maybe take it as a learning experience and say like, this is how I reacted today. It probably wasn't the best for my mental or physical health. Um, but the next time this comes up, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Whether that's writing like a, I've seen when in doubt list. So if you're having a bad day, you can say like, when in doubt, what works for me, whether it's taking a shower, having a glass of water, and they can be these little things that really do help you in the long run, because it gets you out of that negative headspace and rumination loop. So instead of like, throwing out these big positive coping mechanisms all the time, I think we really do need to break it down. And each person's different, each person's going to look different on every single day as well. So it's constantly, I think, a journey of learning and tuning into like, what works best for you on what kind of day you're having. Yeah. And um, so like when people say that they're struggling with anxiety and obviously for us, when um, like <clears throat> for most students, when they like um, or start to advocate for themselves and, and tell people that this is what they're struggling with, something that a lot of people is say, say is like, why don't you just go to the doctor <laughs> or like, why don't you just like, you know, get yourself checked out. And I have friends who are or I know people or it's pretty common that people do take anti-anxiety medications antidepressants but when people who are using medications to deal with their um, mental health struggles I feel like in a way it's like them reinforcing it into themselves that like oh I am struggling which is why so many people who may be experiencing severe anxiety or depression don't choose to go that route so I wanted to ask you what is your like personal opinion I guess you could say on 
medication to deal with anxiety, depression, or other mental health related struggles? Or like, to what extent do you have to be like um, struggling, I guess you could say on a day-to-day basis where you feel like, okay, you know what, maybe it's time to actually get, I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, professional help. Yeah, everyone definitely has different views on medication. And I know we're seeing more and more of like a holistic lifestyle and people actually frowning upon medications because they don't want to take them. And I think all reasons are valid. Um, For me personally, I've been on and off medication for the last seven years. Right now I'm currently on it. So I'm definitely an advocate for it. If you need it, take it. There is no shame in it. Um, But I feel like that first step in going to the doctor or taking your first medication is so hard internally because like you said, you're accepting it yourself that maybe you're sick or something's wrong with you. And then you face that other external stigma of other people looking at you weird. And I think like there's still, if you were to announce like, oh, I have to take my medication or I have to go get a refill, people still look at you weird. Um, So it's a lot of like internally accepting yourself and that does take a long time. Um, In terms of like the psychology behind it, I know there's a lot of people who disagree with medication or how it's prescribed. I think people don't like how often it's prescribed because we don't always need it. Um, And there's a lot of issues with the DSM five, which is the diagnostic and statistic manual, which we use to diagnose mental disorders. Um, So there's a lot of like behind the scenes stuff with pharmaceutical companies and all that. But for me personally, it's definitely been something that has helped me along my journey, especially at the beginning. Um, I think it helps me both like regulate my emotions and accept myself that I was struggling. And I think that in turn, like helped me be more active in my therapy journey that made me more aware of what I was going through. And I went off them for a little bit when I was doing okay, but then I did start suffering again. So I did have to be put back on them. And that was hard for me because I thought I was like cured or I was on the way up. But when I did start suffering more and more, I found that I did need them back in my life. And at that time it was just something I needed. And even today, it's still something I think that's helping me. Um, So everybody's different. And I just think like, if you're struggling with that medication stigma, find your right support group and just again like there's a lot of people on Instagram right now going like post your pill is a big hashtag and just really normalizing that conversation because it is a normal thing and a lot of people are on them yeah so just as like a final topic that I wanted to touch on sometimes when people say that they are struggling people around them don't know how to react Um, I think sometimes the stuff that we say to people is like, oh, you'll get better soon. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's like, obviously we have positive intentions for that person, or I hope we have positive intentions (laughs) for that person. But when someone really like is, is, you know, coming out and telling people that yes, they are struggling when either when it's, they have a bad day or like not masking what they're really going through. What do you think that family should do when they hear that someone is struggling or like peers, people they work with? friends just to show either that they're they're supportive of them um, or that they're there to help validation is number one like however that looks like in that situation whether you're just nodding your head and saying like yes I understand you if you don't understand them validate them regardless like if you try to intervene and say others have it worse or at least you have this dot 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 like that just really invalidates what they're going through and 
then they will never open up to you again because they're scared that you don't understand what they're going through or they don't think it's serious. They think they're being overdramatic. And then that starts that whole thing internally with the person. So validation goes such a long way. And the person doesn't always need like immediate intervention or they're not looking for advice. Sometimes they just need that moment of support. And I think it's different if you're dealing with a crisis situation, because then obviously you do have to intervene. You might need to get medical attention, bring them to a doctor, but it's all in your own like assessment risk, I guess. And you know the person best if they're coming to you. So really just asking like what they need from you instead of assuming what you think that they need from you. Um, And listening to what they're saying is a big one, like listening without talking or without judgment, because Mm -hmm they can actually communicate in a lot of ways without actually talking. Like, so it's reading their body language. It's paying attention to what they're doing. It's picking up on behaviors. What if they're like missing classes or they're not going to the things that they normally love? Like if you're seeing this in that person, then these could be signs of a mental illness building up or that they're suffering. So just really paying attention to your loved ones and making sure that you're doing what they need (laughs) again, not what you think that they need. Yeah. Thank you so, so much um, for talking to me about this. I know that it definitely will help a lot of people, um, you know, whether it's people who are, you know, struggling silently, who are now more willing to, you know, open up about what they're going through, because there is, I feel like we definitely should normalize, you know, opening up about what we're going through and have people, um, you know, I guess stand up for themselves when it comes to a lot of these things and whether it's, you know, themselves or the people around them, I feel like, you know, listening to this, they'll know like better ways to react, cope. Um, And I guess this concludes this episode. Thank you guys so, so much for listening and be sure to look out for the next episode um, of GMHO's um, podcast. Thank you.